You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. This is Brian Johnson. This is the Earn and Invest Podcast. I have spent a lot of time with the dying. As a hospice doctor, I have hovered at the bedside and heard just about every joy and sadness, lament and regret. When it comes to those regrets, the themes are remarkably similar. While the details frequently vary, it boils down to the overwhelming regret of not having the courage, energy, or time to do the important things. There is a gap between who they are today and who they thought they could be as their best selves. Yet, on their dying bed, it is often too late. A great deal of my book, Taking Stock, is to remind the young of just this, to begin reviewing their lives today before it's too late, to avoid the necessity of the last-minute plot twist to fix everything, to close the gap now, today. But how do we do that? Brian Johnson is the founder and CEO of Heroic Public Benefit Corporation and the author of Arate, Activate Your Heroic Potential. He's 50% philosopher and 50% CEO and 101% committed to helping create a world in which 51% of humanity is flourishing by the year of 2051. As a founder and CEO, he's raised over $25 million, made crowdfunding history, and built and sold two social platforms. Brian Johnson, welcome to Earn and Invest. I want to travel back in the time machine to, I think it was about a year ago. It starts as an average day. You're hanging out in your house in Austin, surrounded by a few of your key business partners, and you get handed a letter addressed to the Heroic Public Benefit Corporation legal department. And you open it up, and it's from the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Help me understand why this wasn't the most catastrophic day of your life. Jordan, first of all, I love your introduction and the work that you do and uh, we're starting we're starting off hot let's go <laughs> let's, let's go, go straight i'll tell go. you when that was that was april 7 2022 so uh you know a year and a half ago two days before our company heroic public benefit corporation launched our app uh a year after we made history as the first company to ever raise five million dollars via the new crowdfunding regulations as part of a 10 million dollar seed round for our business. So again, we spent millions and millions of dollars uh, leading up to the launch of our app. Two days before we launch it, right after I told my wife, hey, you know, I'm going to enjoy this weekend. I'm ready. The app's working. Let's go. I'm hanging out with my team. It's early morning on Thursday before the Saturday launch. And I get it, that letter you're mentioning, you know, made out to the legal department. Wait, we don't have a legal department from the SEC. Wait, pretty sure that's strike two in the overall equation here. What's going on? And, and, you know, they opened an investigation into our business related to the crowdfunding raise that we had done. And why that wasn't the, and just, it has a happy ending. We navigated it in eight months, usually takes 24, had incredible support through the process. And frankly, I didn't lose sleep from a, did we do anything wrong perspective? Because we did it at the highest moral and technical levels. I lost a lot of sleep with what I had to do because of it. But why it wasn't catastrophic for me is I practice my philosophy. So over the last 25 years, I went from you know having a lot of challenges and none of the wisdom and discipline and love and courage practice that we're going to talk about today to 
I don't even remember this, but my right-hand guy, Michael Balshan, was in my kitchen with me when I got the letter. I'm on the corner island table reading the documents, and I don't remember it, but apparently the first thing I said, and I get goosebumps every time I share this story is, I told him, Mr. Balshan, the heroic gods have given us an opportunity to practice our philosophy. And the essence of my philosophy is something I call anti-fragile confidence, that when life hits you, you need to double down on your protocol. You need to know who you are when you're at your best. And when you're feeling the most challenged, you need to be the most fiercely committed to working your protocol. So I stepped everything up. My meditation practice went up to an hour in the morning, an hour at night. All the, the things I did pretty well, I did at an even higher level of precision. And then that event that, that frankly could have been catastrophic personally and for the business because so much was out of our control when that happened became the thing that made me a better man, a better leader, um, a better husband and father, um, and made our business stronger, ultimately. Now, it wasn't fun to go through that, and there were a lot of challenges, but the short answer to your question would be, I practice my philosophy. That's my deepest commitment in life, um, and it proved to work in this situation. What I love about that is it's almost in a sense a proof of concept. Let's dive into that philosophy. First and foremost, I can't miss while watching you on video that you've got two large tattoos, one on each forearm. Tell me what those tattoos say and what they mean to you. I should celebrate that we're twins right now, by the way. You're looking great, that t-shirt. We're great, both great, wearing great. Arate, white Arate t-shirts if you're listening to this on audio. That is so good. So if you look down on my, uh, my left forearm, you will see a tattoo that's an inch tall, maybe six inches long for heroic the name of our public benefit corporation. And then above that, and I had to decide what I would put on my arm, obviously, but it's it's above the I and the C. So when I look down on my arm, I see hero, I see heroic, but hero, I see a world in which 51% of humanity is flourishing by 2051. I've got 512051. And that's what I've dedicated my life to, you know, a 25 plus year mission, which we can obviously talk about. And then on the other forearm, I have the one word, kind of um, plan. How am I going to achieve that mission and have a shot at achieving the mission? By living with Arte, which is, as you know, the one word answer the ancient Stoics would have given us on how to live a good life. We translate it as virtue or excellence, but means something closer to being your best self moment to moment to moment or closing the gap that you so beautifully described with your hospice care not someday, but today, not even someday or today, but moment to moment to moment. So Arate um, and Heroic are the, uh, the two ideals to which I've dedicated my life. So in a moment, we're going to jump into how to close that gap. We're going to talk about Arate and the seven objectives to activate your heroic potential. But I feel like we need to have a philosophical discussion first I've spent a lot of my time thinking about the hedonic treadmill and specifically hedonic adaption. This idea that we have a happiness set point and that we do things, whether we buy things or achieve things, or for some of us, it's even saving money. We do all these things to improve our happiness set point, and it tends to work for the short term, but then we habituate back down to that set point. So it really drives this question, is it possible that some of us or all of us have our level of happiness pre-programmed regardless of what we do? Because I feel like if we're going to close the gap, we have to address that question. Yeah, I think the science, you know, they debate what percentage of our happiness is set, principally genetic factors, but then of course, environmental factors and other dispositional factors. What amount of it is within our agency, you know, would be another way to frame the question. So it clearly isn't 100% within our control. We need to be honest about that. But nor is it zero. You know, it's, and I think that we'll, we'll let the scientists debate. It's an unanswerable question, ultimately. What percentage of our happiness is actually within our control? Again, given our genetic dispositions, our environmental upbringing, and other current environmental situations. But the way I frame it up is, and not that I don't care because I do, but it's not 0%. And it's not one or two or three or four or five or six or seven, eight or nine or 10 either, by the way. Now, now it starts to get debatable whether it's 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60. I don't think it's more than that. But then I, I again, I don't care. If it's only one or 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50, do everything you can to squeeze every ounce of your own potential out of what you have control over 
And we need to radically accept. You know, I grew up in a family in which my father, good man, but struggled with alcohol. His father struggled with alcohol, ended his own life. Uh, my mom doesn't know the word excited. For her, it's I'm anxious. It's a good, I'm anxious to see you. No, you're excited, mom. There's a different emotional experience than anxiety. But that was her thing. So I can playfully say now that it appears that I lost both the environmental and the genetic lottery on that one, at least in some ways. Um, but that makes me work harder. That makes me say, and I know to, to state it out loud, I know what it feels like to want to end my own life. I have been in such a deep level of despair, feeling that I had 0% control over my life or ability to create a great life that I wanted to end my own life. I know what that feels like. And thankfully, it's now 25 years in the rearview mirror, but I know what that feels like. And you don't forget what that feels like when you've been there. So I use my weaknesses to my advantage. My, my immune system, frankly, is, is not great. I was really sick as a kid, uh, always sick, you know, and, and I need to play the margins really clear. You know, I can't get away with eating things that most people can eat. I can't get away with not sleeping the way some people can get away with that. But I've used those weaknesses to my advantage. So now I just walk a straight line. I'm on a razor's edge, knowing my physiology, my psychology demand that I do my best. And I have found personally that as I do that, I find a deeper level of meaning and joy um, and purpose. And then I want to juxtapose hedonic and eudaimonic. So yes, there's a treadmill for hedonic. We adapt quickly to the extrinsic stuff, but there's no treadmill for the eudaimonic. When you pursue trying to be a better person so you can deepen your relationships and make a contribution to your community, independent of your fame, wealth, and hotness, the extrinsic motivators, scientists tell us you are more psychologically stable than those who are pursuing the other stuff. And there's no treadmill on that path. The more I practice my philosophy, the more joyful I get, and the more confident I get, and the more I know I will never experience the depths of despair I had before. And the more committed I become to being my best self for my wife, for my kids, for you, for our community. Um, and life takes on a different goosebumps, beautiful uh, it's not, I'm not happy in quotes all the time. I face a lot of challenges, but I know I have what it takes to meet them. And it's difficult to describe the the joy that one feels that's deeper than happiness, you know, um, on that path. I said a lot, but but felt important to kind of shape out my background and that influenced the way I approach a question like that. I get this question all the time. When I tell people, look, I'm around the dying and there's so many things they regret. And so this idea of memento mori, carrying this idea that we all will die at some point with us and that we have to live for today and start doing those deeply important things for us. And I kind of draw a direct line to you and where you were maybe 25 years ago when things were not appearing well, when you were having all these questions about who you are and how you were going to live your life. It gets us to the point of how do we close the gap? That's what people always ask me. It's like, okay, I hear what you're saying philosophically. I get it. But how do we do this? Which brings us to the seven objectives to activate your heroic potential. This is really the heart of Arete, the book. It's a heart of the philosophy. And I wanted to walk through these objectives because, again, I think it's really important for people to understand tactically how you actually go about doing this as opposed to philosophically, it's time to do it. So let's jump into objective one. You call that know the ultimate game. And I'm going to quote you here. You say the first thing we need to do is step back and make sure we're playing the right game. Fact is, in such a profoundly sick society, we almost always aren't. Let's talk first and foremost. How is society sick today? But again, depending on the stats you want to you want to pay attention to and debate, up to 80% of us are struggling with anxiety, depression, burnout, et cetera. It's an invisible disability. I gave a talk on mental health day recently, and that was a stat I threw out. Um, and then a near similar proportion of us are overweight or obese and struggling with chronic diseases that are preventable. So, you know, Krishnamurti 50 years ago said, it is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And so whether we're personally suffering or our spouse or kids or friends are suffering, we're either experiencing it personally or have or will or have someone in our immediate circle of, of um, care who is experiencing this. So again, I don't, I don't mean that critically. To me, it's just a statement that has a rational truth to it. 
And if it is at least approximating the truth, then I think it begs the question, what does a good life look like? Because it's probably not what we've been told to go after when most people in our modern world aren't flourishing. And then in the book, I talk about the fact that this is a 2,500-year-old challenge. This isn't a 25-year-old challenge or 25-month-old challenge since COVID came in. This is the classic challenge that all wisdom traditions and faith traditions have tried to address. Most people across cultures, across time, have pursued things that don't lead to their well-being. You know, uh, the choice of Hercules is one of my favorite stories that Socrates and the Stoics told. Literally, the story goes 2,500 years ago, Hercules, before he's Hercules, is on a walk in the forest. He gets to a fork in the road. Two goddesses come up to him, one of whom is, is uh, you know, dressed up and kind of preening, and she says her name is happiness. But it's really vice. 2,500 years ago, you know, and then the other goddess waits and listens and comes up and her name was Arete and virtue. So this choice between virtue and vice um, is 2,500 years old. And I suggest that we need to know the ultimate game. It's not the hedonic fame, wealth, hotness. It's the eudaimonic. Be the best version of yourself in service to something bigger than yourself. Have wisdom, discipline, love, courage, which is what you described on those deathbed scenarios of shoot, I didn't have the wisdom and the discipline and the courage to show up and do the things I could have done. Some say that's one version of hell. To imagine the version of you you could have been right when you can do nothing about it. Well, thankfully, those of us who are here today almost certainly can do something about it. And we have days, if not hopefully weeks and months and years, maybe even decades, none of us know, to actually close that gap. But the first step is to make sure you're playing the right game. Stephen Covey said this 30 years ago, many people get up to the top of a ladder and then they look around and realize they put it up against the wrong wall, right? So, so again, the deathbed scenario of, oh my God, I did everything society said, yet I never felt joy. It's the second mountain David Brooks talks about. You get to the top of the first mountain, you won everybody's game, but you don't feel that joy that you were told you would feel. It's time for the second mountain to play the ultimate game well. Again, long answer to your short question, but but that's how I approach um, objective one. And this is a to frame it up. I've spent half of the last twenty five years as a founder CEO, and the other half as a philosopher and a teacher. I've I've relentlessly studied ancient wisdom and modern science, trying to understand what all the great wisdom and faith traditions and modern science say leads to a good life. It, it's summarized in one word: arete. And then in these seven objectives, which form the basis of our coach program, which has been scientifically proven to change people's lives, this is where we start. You got to step back half an inch, look at your current life, see what's working, what's not working, um, and then go from there. In a moment, we're going to get to objective two, but it does beg the question, you know, you made the point. This is something, this is nothing new, right? This is 2,500 years of philosophy, religion, et cetera. Why are we so bad as humans at this? Like, Isn't why are we question? still struggling? That's a really good question, Jordan. You know, it's funny. I don't, that's not a question I have framed often. What I, what I say to myself is my short answer to that question would be, I don't know my, and then we can talk about how our brains evolved and amygdala, this and that, and all the negativity bias. And then we want things, you know, but what I focus on, isn't that I let other people figure that out. What I focus on, on is what can I do about it? Okay, given the state of reality in which most of us are suffering a lot of the time, what can I do about it? How can I create a life of deep meaning and purpose? Um, so I don't have an answer for that. I, I, I celebrate those who come up with that while I figure out, well, okay, given that, what can we do about it? You know? Yeah, I, I definitely think on some level, hedonism is being sold to us through the marketing complex, through social media, et cetera, this idea of being the hottest, the richest, and going on the best vacations is a very definite message being sold to us, mostly by companies and people who are trying to make money. So it's certainly, that might not have explained it 2,500 years ago, but it certainly plays a role today. Let's jump to objective two. I love this. Forge anti-fragile confidence I think there's a really important point to be made here. What's the difference between resilience and anti-fragile confidence? If I may, I want to step back to the forge part, because I think part of your hospice care is 
these individuals didn't activate. They didn't show up with an intensity and a realization that this was a precious life that they had. And this moment is precious. So the subtitle of the book is Activate Your Heroic Potential. Activation energy is a scientific idea. If you want to create a fire, ignite a fire, you have to hit 451 degrees. If you want to be your best self, you must activate and have a level of intensity, grounded, but intensity. So, But then that's not enough. You got to get into the forge. If you want to make a, a sword, it's 2200 degrees. So I think a lot of people in our modern world have a bit of apathy and uh, cynicism that approaches nihilism often times. And it's just not, quote, cool to show up with intensity. And, you know, the great ones that I admire in any domain showed up with intensity. I think that that is really important. Now, once we've activated, we're, we're willing to show up and do the hard work, then we move from being fragile past being resilient. So if I'm fragile, I break when life hits me. If I'm resilient, I can handle it longer before I break. Then I bounce back faster. But there's something that is the opposite of fragility. Nassim Taleb coined the word, it's anti-fragility. The opposite of being fragile is when life hits you, you get stronger. We used a little case study of, of me responding to a very, very challenging set of circumstances. And as Nassim Taleb put it, the wind will extinguish a candle, but that same wind will fuel a fire. So I have trained you know, over 10,000 people to do what we're talking about right now as our heroic coaches and, and many, many more in our community. So when I got hit, I, I, it, was, it was a cue, a trigger, a prompt to practice my philosophy. That's what it means to forge anti-fragile confidence, which we can also talk about. But we want to use life's challenges the same way you use weights in a gym. Use them to get stronger. Don't complain about them. Don't try to lift styrofoam weights. Lift real weights in the form of your challenges day in and day out, and you can forge this anti-fragile strength such that you know you have what it takes to meet any and all of life's challenges. Tell me what you mean by confidence here, because you brought it up yourself, and it's an important word. I love this word. So the, the combination of these words, you know, forge, anti-fragile, then confidence. So, you know, I'm kind of an etymology nerd, right? So the word confidence um, comes from two little ancient words that mean confidere, intense trust. So confidence is intense trust is what it means etymologically. In what? That things will go perfectly? Obviously not. That's insanity. Intense trust that it doesn't matter what happens, you've got what it takes to respond. But if you want to build trust in any relationship, you have to do what you say you will do. So you and I scheduled our talk for a certain time. If I didn't show up, you might give me one pass. But if I didn't show up again, you wouldn't trust me and you shouldn't trust me. Now, if you want to build trust in your relationship with yourself, I say you need to do what you say you will do more and more consistently. You'll never be perfect at it. But if you're saying that you're going to do X, Y, and Z, you know, you know, spend time with your family without your phones or meditate or eat a certain way or train or whatever it is, and you're not doing those things, you are eroding your trust. And then if when life hits you, you go do all the vicious, you know, things that you know you shouldn't be doing, and we've all got those habits. Yeah, you're going to be fragile. You're going to break. But if you do the things you know you could do more and more consistently, and you build the confidence, and then when you get hit, you work even harder to do the things you know you should be doing, your life changes fundamentally. You go from being broken when things hit you hard to using those same exact things to get stronger. And I got goosebumps again. You get even three, five, 10% better at that. You fundamentally change your life. And this is the thing that, that I, I feel blessed to have helped people who also struggle with wanting to end their own life, who, who didn't know if they wanted to live another day, who learned these ideas and changed their lives. And this is also the thing that the most elite performers in the world want me to talk to them about, whether it's the U.S. men's national soccer team that I spoke to recently when they're in town, um, or military officers or, or executives who want to go to the next level. This is it. This is the aspect of my work that, um, frankly, I'm most proud of and that I think is is most transformative. And uh, yeah, that that's how I think about forging anti-fragile confidence. 
We are talking to Brian Johnson. He is 50% philosopher and 50% CEO and 101% committed to helping create a world in which 51% of humanity is flourishing by year 2051. And we are talking about closing the gap, the seven objectives to activate your heroic potential. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R usa.com that's landroverusa.com are you struggling to close deals b2b selling is tougher than ever and that's why i want to tell you about linkedin sales navigator linkedin sales navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers drive higher revenues and increase sales performance Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. We are back with Brian Johnson. He is the founder and CEO of Heroic Public Benefit Corporation and the author of Arate, Activate Your Heroic Potential. And we are talking about closing the gap, the seven objectives to activate your heroic potential. We've already talked about objective one, know the ultimate game. Objective two, forge anti-fragile confidence. And that brings us to objective number three, optimize your big three. First and foremost, what are the big three? The big three are energy, work, and love. So the origin story behind energy, work, and love that we call our big three. And the idea here is we want to, we start at high level. You got to know the ultimate game. And then rule number one is it's supposed to be hard. Right. And then we talked about, okay, use those hard things to get stronger. Um, But it's a bit abstract. So now we want to get more concrete. So, how do I change my life? Well, we like to simplify it into energy, work, and love. Uh, I like to talk about Stephen Covey's roles and goals, Tony Robbins's categories of improvement, which I found overwhelming. There were so many different things I could do in my life. Where do I start? I just gave up. Um, But then Freud, with whom I don't agree on many things, said a good life comes down to two things work and love. I heard that and I said, yes, exactly. Work and love with an asterisk. That if your energy isn't great because you've made some poor lifestyle choices, eating, moving, sleeping, et cetera, then you won't show up powerfully in your work or your love. So you need to get your energy right, then bring it into your work and love and boom, that's it. So that's the big three. That's what we relentlessly help people get clarity on. Who are you at your best? Your identities, What virtues do you embody and what specifically do you do when you're at your best and your energy, work, and love? Um, And then we help them make their prior best their new baseline Um, and not give up the gains because all of us have experienced moments in our lives when we felt energized, we felt productive, we felt connected, but we just need to slow down and say, well, what was I doing in those moments of days or weeks or even months or years? And then why am I not doing them now? And systematically build a new protocol, um, a checklist, if you will, to do those things more consistently. And again, your life takes on more meaning. You use whatever percentage of agency you have to create a good life that you can be proud of. I love this specifically because I think we're moving right now from theoretical to tactical, or we're starting to. 
Yep. And so the question that everyone always asks me with any of this stuff is where do I begin? And and I love your answer, which is begin at your previous best. Yep. And I've never heard it framed that way, but it makes a lot of sense. Well, let's go there. So then the most practical way to operationalize this and move from theory to practice on it is take out a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, on the upper left, put do, on the upper right, put don't. And then think back to a time in your life when you were performing at a very high level and you were at your best. And again, it could have been a day or a week or a month or even a year or even a decade, but think back to that time, actually feel yeah, 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 yeah. This was the time in my life when I was so energized and productive and connected. And then write down the things you were doing when you were at your best. And then even more importantly, write down the things you weren't doing when you were at your best. And so this is the first step we take in helping people get clarity in what we call their protocol. And then look at that list on the do and the don't and circle the one thing that you know you could be doing that if you started doing it would most positively change your life that you actually want to do. It's not a should. You actually are excited about doing it. And then the one thing you know you need to stop doing. And then know that that's actually the fastest way to change your life. If you're binge drinking or binge watching or binge eating or doing whatever it is you do and you're not at your best, we need to stop that. I call them kryptonites. We've all got different degrees of, of catastrophic kryptonites. Um, but you combine that do and that don't and you start to, again, assume more power. Uh, and then we can talk about you know how to bring that into today and all the other things. But that's the simplest way I've, I've come to understand to help people get clarity and um, start making progress, moving from theory to practice, not someday, but today. You know, I have a story about that. This is not the first time I'm meeting you. I actually met you last week because you were in Chicago and gave a talk about your book, Arte. And I was struck by this do-don't list. And it actually, in my own life, I was realizing I'm 50 years old. I get aches and pains. I've been to physical therapy a bunch of times. I realized that I had stopped doing my daily stretches. And when I was doing my own do and don't list, I'm like, I always feel better when I stretch every day. Not every other day, not five days a week. But if I wake up in the morning, I usually do 30 minutes of cardio. And then if I sit down and stretch for it literally is 10 or 15 minutes, it makes a much better day. And it really took kind of philosophically what you're talking about it and made it very real and tactical to me. And so let's continue moving in this direction of tactical. I think that brings us to objective four, make today a masterpiece. So now we're really talking about how do we specifically go about doing this? How do we actually move that to our practice as opposed to our kind of theory of how we're going to live? Yeah, well, first I turned 50 in May. So let's go, hero. This is I'm so excited about it. 49 to 50. That's wow. Where'd the time go? Um, I too will feel aches and pains when I eat certain things, by the way. I've got 20 screws in my arm here from a from an accident, blah, blah, blah. Um, and different foods will actually make that sore or not. Very interesting to make the connection. And I too do stretching every morning, but mine's only a minute and a half to three minutes. And the same exact thing, little cat and dog, simple, simple opening series that I do um, that keeps me feeling great. And I, I know what I feel like when I don't do it, so I don't miss days. But I love that that we share that practice in common. And I also love that I helped you remind yourself, you already knew, of what worked. So then, you know, objective one, know the game, forge anti-fragile confidence, optimize your big three first objectives. Then we get into objective four, make today a masterpiece. Too many people make New Year's resolutions and then forget about them until the next year. I mean, the, the stats on that are crazy. How many days it takes before everybody forgets? Our thing is make new days resolutions. So one of the reasons I think our app, which has been scientifically proven to change people's lives again, works is because we architected it to help you get clarity on who you are at your best, but then we challenge you to recommit every morning. So we take that do and don't list, and then we extend it down into your energy, work, and love. Then we bring it into the app, and we put it there in front of you. And every morning, we encourage you to spend 90 seconds recommitting to doing the things you know you do when you're at your best. You don't want to forget these things. Set your intention. Your attention follows. Your behavior follows, and your life changes. But the basic idea here is you want to make today a masterpiece. You want to know what a masterpiece day looks like. So the same exercise applies to your day. When you have great days, what do you do? And if you could wave a wand and make today amazing and architect it, what would you do? 
We break it down in your AM and your PM bookends, which is an idea I got from Darren Hardy, the guy who wrote The Compound Effect, used to run Success Magazine. He says, you have more control over the mornings and end of your day than you do the middle. So use that wisely. Plug in the things you know you could be doing in the morning and the evening, and you can start having better and better days. Scientists say if you want to install a habit, which by the way is objective five, master yourself, in which I talk about the art and science of behavioral change. But one of the key ideas is reduce the variability of your behavior if you want to be more consistent. What that means is if you want to meditate, don't meditate some days right after you wake up, some days when you feel like it, other days at lunch, other days when you get home from work or whatever. Decide when I wake up, I'm going to meditate for a minute or five or 15 or whatever it is. You want to um, know when in your day you can do these different things and then do them consistently. We can talk more, but the final thing I'd want to make sure I say is today started yesterday. This is another one of those distinctions that's so obvious, but not many people talk about that we relentlessly come back to with our coaches in particular. Literally, this morning started last night. So if you ate late, if you stayed up late watching whatever, and you got an hour or two less sleep than what you knew you needed, of course you woke up this morning feeling groggy and wondering what you want to do with your life or if you want to do anything with your life. So the fastest way to change your life, paradoxically, is to go back to last night or to remember it tonight, give yourself an extra hour of sleep. If you're not getting the recommended seven to eight hours of sleep per night, give yourself an extra hour of sleep. And literally, you can fundamentally change your life overnight and then don't give up that gain, right? And then we can systematically, again, architect different aspects of our day with the things we know we could be doing. You take that do and don't list, take the do's, drop them into your ideal day, and then have fun with it. Don't see it as a chore list, all the things you have to do because Jordan and Brian are talking about it. See these things as gifts. Your current self is going to give to your future self so you don't wind up on your deathbed wondering what you did with your life, to put it in very blunt terms. These things we're talking about need to be done with enthusiasm and joy as a gift from this version of yourself to the five minutes from now, five hours from now, five weeks from now, God willing, five decades from now version of yourself. That's Arte. Moment to moment to moment, making the connection and again, bringing more joy into your life um, as as you go through the process. Which again connects to objective five, which is after objective four, making today a masterpiece, you have to master yourself, which you were mentioning. You talk about the three disciplines of self-mastery, structural discipline, reactive discipline, and expansive discipline. What the heck are those or what are the differences? Yeah. And we haven't talked about my beloved coach and spiritual father yet, Phil Stutz. So Phil Stutz is in the documentary with Jonah Hill called Stutz on Netflix. His new book, uh, Lessons for Living, just came out as we're recording this. He's the one who introduced me to the three disciplines um, that he talks about in that book. And the three disciplines are structural, reactive, and expansive discipline. Very briefly, structural discipline, um, these are the fundamentals that you engage in, the do and don't list. So you have structure to your life, and you make sure you preserve that structure, especially when things get wobbly. It's almost like, you know, a well-constructed building can manage an earthquake. You know, it's got the dynamicism to be able to handle an earthquake. We need you to have that structural integrity that when life shakes, you do the things you could be doing, eating, moving, sleeping, breathing, focusing your mind, et cetera. Reactive discipline is like Viktor Frankl said that in between a stimulus and a response, there's a space, a gap. In that gap exists your freedom. So it's a discipline that when you someone cuts you off on the freeway, to use a very mundane example, what do you do? Do you knee-jerk react? You know, when your kids, for me, a trigger used to be the Legos, uh, stepping on the Legos. Well, stimulus could lead to a response of frustration, or the very same stimulus could be a trigger to, God, I've got the sweetest kids. Those Legos aren't going to be there. At some point, the Legos won't be on the floor. What if I use this as an opportunity to remind myself how blessed I am to have creative, energetic, 11 and six-year-old, et cetera. That's a discipline to choose your reaction. The third discipline is expansive discipline. This is basically the virtue courage operationalized. Aristotle said courage is the most important virtue. It's the willingness to act in the presence of fear is how scientists describe it. So Phil says that 
your potential, your infinite potential exists outside of your comfort zone. But how does it feel when you leave your comfort zone? By definition, it feels uncomfortable. But you need to know that that discomfort is your pathway to actualizing your potential. That's a discipline. So when you feel anxious or overwhelmed or a little bit afraid, and you know what you should be doing, but you don't feel like doing it, you need to practice expansive discipline. He would say, you need to say, bring it on. I, this, this pain, this uncertainty, this hard work is how I'm going to grow. Um, again, getting comfortable being uncomfortable. We've all heard these ideas theoretically. You need to make it a practice. You need to make it a discipline. That's expansive discipline that goes with reactive and structural discipline. And it's a big part of, again, uh, the work in the book, the work in the app, and the work with our coaches we certify. And to bring it back to the beginning of our conversation, that reactive discipline, that bring it on, seems to be very much of what you went through when you got that SEC letter. This idea it literally of is what I said to being forced out of my comfort zone. This is not me walking out of my comfort zone on purpose. This is being yep. forced out. Uh, yep. But that sense of this is a chance to grow and expand and learn and improve. Yeah, and it becomes a spiritual practice, very importantly. I mean, this, this is a spiritual gym. And if we resent and we reject and we argue with all the things that are going on in our lives, you've lost your power. This is Byron Katie's loving what is, you know? She says, I lose when I argue with reality, but only 100% of the time. So what am I going to do? Get upset and blame and criticize and reject reality? No. And then the Stoics call it the art of acquiescence. You have to acquiesce to whatever life has given you. And then even Eckhart Tolle says, act like you scripted it. Don't just accept it. Act like you scripted it. Like this is what you needed to grow as a human being. That's a really powerful frame that we got to get, not just intellectually, but practically. Again, easier said than done. And, and for me, it took you know 25 years. And of course, I'm still practicing it with the Legos. And with the other business challenges, I don't want to pretend like I've arrived at a place where it's now suddenly easy. It's not. This is another Phil Stutz idea. You will never be exonerated from pain, uncertainty, and hard work, ever. And your story that you should have already gotten past the point of suffering is, in fact, probably the root of most of your suffering. You're resisting life. Allow the pain, the uncertainty, the hard work to be present. Then decide what you're going to do about it. But I literally said to myself, bring it on. Obstacles make me stronger. Ohms, O-M-M-S, is one of our mantras with our work, you know. And um, But we need to get our minds right and focus it. And, and there's a lot of different um, very practical tools we can use. And, and bring it on is certainly one of them. Yeah, my, my most favorite way to start thinking about operationalizing that bring it on attitude is to look at the stories of your past, right? We tell this, ourselves the stories about our past. And if you make those heroic stories as opposed to victim stories, you're much more likely to face the roadblocks you face currently and look at them more as exercise opportunities or hurdles to climb as opposed to roadblocks. Ah, beautiful. I, again, goosebumps yet again. Uh, William Damon is one of my all-time favorite thinkers and mentors. He's the world's leading scholar, as you know, of uh, moral development. So he talks a lot about in his most recent book, um, coherent narratives. So having coherence in your life story, your past has been integrated healthfully. And you can see that, you know, me growing up in a family with the challenges I faced, and again, we've all faced our own challenges, made me me. I wouldn't change a thing. Of course, I, I wouldn't wish my own challenges on anyone or anyone else's challenges on them. But we need to be able to alchemize it and see that my gifts that I can give now are the function of the suffering that I experienced personally and in my family of origin and all the other things. It gets me emotional, you know, and to have coherence in our narrative, to be able to integrate our past into our present and have a compelling future that's hopeful in which we have agency and a, and a vision of a better future and a plan to achieve it is so important. Um, and to celebrate the hard times that we moved through, that, 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 you know, we did things we're really proud of. Everything that I've done or that I'm proud of in my life, including the story you've come back to, you know, the SEC thing, involved hardship. Yet somehow we found the courage in those moments to move through. And we want to celebrate those and make sure those are part of our coherent narrative. You have what it takes. Everyone here 
has created experiences in their life they're really proud of. And that those are good highlight reel moments, by the way, to go back to well, what were you doing when you navigated that really big challenge? What were you doing? And, and again, remember that your suffering was the key ingredient. We call them hero bars. You got to eat the hero bars, but they're made of blood and sweat and tears. And the main ingredient is an obstacle you face that you overcame. So if you did it in the past, you can do it again. Yeah. So objective six is dominate the fundamentals, eating, moving, sleeping, breathing, focusing, celebrating, and prospering. Some of these are self-explanatory, but are, are we breathing wrong? Most people are. How so? The science, as I understand it, is we evolved to breathe nearly exclusively through our nose as I take a partial breath through my mouth as I preface that. You want to breathe through your nose. So um, it's a longer chat in terms of, of how oxygen actually gets out of your red blood cells into um, your muscles and vital organs, et cetera. But it's, it's about carbon dioxide more than it is oxygen. And if you're breathing in through your mouth rather than your nose, you're dysregulating your carbon dioxide in your body your tolerance for carbon dioxide, which is what needs to be present in order to push oxygen out of your hemoglobin, gets disrupted. So you want to breathe in through your nose, deeply into your belly, diaphragmic breathing, most underutilized muscle on the body, et cetera. And this is important for spiritual awareness, for sports performance. I mean, the ancient, Stoic, uh, ancient Spartans would have their young warriors run 10 miles at pace with water in their mouth and spit it out at the end of the run to practice breathing properly in that context. I sleep with tape on my mouth. Um, Patrick McGowan is kind of my go-to um, expert on this. We've got a class, Breathing 101, in which I talk about it a lot. But it, it's one of the things, you know, even when I talk to professional sports coaches that you look at athletes, they're panting through their mouth. The recovery would be much stronger breathing through their nose. It's, it's one of those fun, creative uh, differentiations that, that we can engage in. And I'll say that by practicing my breath and breathing through my nose and, and uh, in certain patterns, that's the thing that most created uh, a deeper level of calm, confidence, and, and energized tranquility. Navy SEALs, all peak performers get this idea. So we're talking about how to close the gap, seven objectives to activate your heroic potential. And that brings us to objective seven, activate your superpower. You call it your soul force. What is the soul force and how do we get in touch with that? Who are your favorite heroes, Jordan? Oh my God. I have so many, <laughs> you know, Two. who, you know, who I really is one of my, cause I love podcasting. Podcasting is one of the most favorite things I do. And so one of my heroes is Terry Gross. NPR Fresh Air, because she's such a fantastic interviewer. And I think interviewing to me is just a fantastic skill. So she is definitely one of my one of my heroes. Give me one more, if you will. Oh, geez. I can feel her presence. I can hear her voice. That's so good. Another one so to mind? For the same reason, Oprah Winfrey would be another one. She's just such a fantastic interviewer. When you see those interviews where people are crying because she just asks a few important questions and she gets yep. people to open up their lives to you. I love it. Okay, cool. So then we have two women, but very different women and modern women too, right? We can talk about Eleanor Roosevelt would be another woman for me who's a favorite hero of mine. It, Epictetus is my favorite teacher. Marcus Aurelius is my favorite you know, leader, right? Abraham Lincoln, Gandhi, Churchill. These are all some of my favorite heroes. But the thing that I like to emphasize is if you think about whether it's Terry Gross and Oprah Winfrey or Winston Churchill and Gandhi or fill in your, your blank on your, your favorite hero, they're very different. I, I can hear Terry in my head, and she's that calm, strident, you know, uh, composed speaker. And Oprah's got all this energy and enthusiasm and is bubbling over. They're different, right? But they have this power about them um, that I would say all heroes have in common. And I call that soul force named after Gandhi. And another example I use to make the point is Gandhi and Churchill lived in the same era as different as they could be. Gandhi's frail would go days without talking, showed up in the palace and is wearing nothing. You got Churchill, right? Who's portly, but rarely stopped talking. These guys didn't even like each other. Yet they both had this ineffable sense of power that Gandhi named that he called soul force. Satyagraha, which we translated as nonviolent resistance. He coined the phrase Satyagraha, two Sanskrit words, Satya and Graha, it means truth force, virtue force, love force, or soul force. 
So what Gandhi cultivated in himself, that he encouraged his followers to cultivate, to free India, that Martin Luther King quoted in his I Have a Dream speech is soul force. So it's my belief that when we live in integrity with our highest ideals, we activate our soul force, which is like, it's a moral charisma, an ineffable sense of power that you feel in the presence of people who are living in integrity with their values. Uh, the ancient Chinese philosophers, I've got Bruce Lee back there to playfully represent Confucius's wisdom and Lao Tzu. This was the whole point of ancient Chinese philosophy as well. To get to a state where you lived with Wu Wei, which we translate as effortless action, but it really is more appropriately translated as effortless right action. You effortlessly do the virtuous thing. You show up as your best self. When you do that, you have something called, in ancient Chinese, Da, D-E, Da, which means moral charisma. And this is what Confucius and Lao Tzu and others train their leaders to have, because we now know from neuroscience that people who have that sense of integrity, it, it triggers a part of our, our nervous system and our neurological under, wiring to trust those people. So again, this is, this is the ultimate fruition of everything that I do is to cultivate that within myself and within the individuals we're blessed to serve. Um, and it's, it's idiosyncratic. Yours is different than mine. Um, as you know, all heroes are expressing their own powers differently, but I believe it's latent within each of us and we just need to show up and do the hard work. It's not easy to do this. You look at Gandhi, for example, he was unbelievably disciplined to be able to connect to something bigger than himself and let that come through, that's the ultimate um, superpower as I see it and kind of the culmination of the prior six objectives. So we're talking about how to close the gap. The book is Arate. In a short interview like this, there's no way we can do it justice. There's a thousand pages. There's so much great, both theoretical and tactical information. Writing a book transforms you and it changes you. Tell me, Brian, as you were writing this book, was there a moment while going through these chapters that you had to look at yourself in the mirror, a moment where you had to say, I'm either not meeting that goal of mine or I need to change my philosophy because I know that writing transforms. And that's actually one of the best tests of your philosophy is to write a book about it. Yeah, I do that every moment. <laughs> to me, it's a, it's a constant commitment to trying to close that gap, to live with the virtues that all the traditions and science says, the wisdom, the discipline, the love, the courage, the gratitude, the hope, the curiosity is the virtue you're talking about here. Can I be open to what's working and what needs work in my life? Um, and I try to do that process literally all day, every day. What's working, what needs work, and, and that constant iterative process. And yeah, the, the writing process certainly brings that to life. I mean, it was brutal at times. You know, the hardest part for me was to, was deciding what book I was going to write. I was actually nearly complete with a different book that was more of a normal 200 to 300 page long form chapter book, but that isn't my style. My style that I've cultivated over the last, you know, 15 years really now is it's pithy. It's in and out. It's more wisdom and less time, you know, and I had to make the creative decision to honor that style. And I literally threw away the other book and focused on this one, which in many ways became a curation of the best ideas I've studied over the last 15, 20, 25 years now. So these are 451 ideas that have most impacted me and my team. I asked my team to share the ideas that I've shared with them that have most changed their life. And they all shared different ideas, you know, a small group, but there was almost no overlap. This woman gave me these five, 10 ideas. This guy gave me these 10, 20 ideas, but they were all different. So I realized I needed to create something that um, allowed for that expression. Um, but yeah, I, I put that pressure on myself all day, every day. So that wasn't the real different part. But then I could also write with a level of um, humility on how hard it is, but also confidence that when applied, it works. Um, and I actually didn't share the SEC story in, in, in this book. I will in the next volume. Um, again, now a long answer to that short, great question. So the book is Arate, Activate Your Heroic Potential, correctly stated volume one, which suggests that there will be a volume two coming. You know, Brian, what I take from this conversation is, you know, it's no surprise that this gap exists. We all know it. 
it's what we all search for when we're talking about enlightenment or happiness or self-actualization. What we're really talking about is I am at this place now and I see the potential to be somewhere else. And yet I don't know how to get there. What I really loved about Arate is it is a very clear guide on how you close the gap. And I think that's the question I most often get asked when I talk about my experience as a hospice doctor. And now I have a place where I can point to and say, this is an amazing place to start. Hmm. I want to end this conversation the way and every conversation by asking you what is up next in your life and where people can find you and learn more about both heroic and arate. First and foremost, is there any rest? I mean, you just wrote a thousand page book. You have had an incredibly successful year with Heroic, the app. Is there going to be some downtime? Well, first, let me step back and thank you. Bless you. This was a great chat. Um, I Same to me, it's every day. You know, so one of my targets I hit when I'm at my best is I'm in bed for eight to nine plus hours. I meditate for an hour to two a day. So I'm constantly trying to oscillate. So you're getting me, you know, intense. Well, I meditated for an hour this morning after I was in bed for nine hours and 30 minutes. And got, you know, eight hours and whatever, 25 minutes of sleep. So I'm I'm trying to find my edge in terms of what I can create and what I can give to my family and to the world day in and day out. And I'm trying to recover such that I can sustain that. Each day isn't as successful as every other day, but but I'm trying to bake that in. So to me, it's um, I'm intensely on, I'm intensely off. I spent the weekend with my son at a chess tournament and just trying to uh to to be here and to be present. And then I get so much joy out of what I'm doing that I'm already working on volume two. And it's, it's, uh, I feel blessed to be in this dialogue. Yeah. So yes and no, you know, it's baked into the overall paradigm. Um, but I'm not a good vacation guy either. You know, I, I feel blessed to do what I do. And I feel, um, how it, it's insanely important to train our recovery. I don't want to underemphasize that. And we each have idiosyncratic ways to do it. But I like to have mini vacations every day, you know, and just ground that energy, then show up and ground that energy and show up. And as I like to say, it's always day one. It's always day one. Today's the day that I I feel I need to, frankly, be worthy of um, being here in dialogue with you. I feel like a sacred privilege to me that I don't take for granted. We're blessed to work with um, different, you know, special forces operators in the military. I have some dear friends who are commanding officers in the Naval Special Warfare and Navy, Navy SEALs. They go through the most rigorous training in history up there with the Spartan training. And then immediately after they graduate and become a a Navy SEAL, they're told, today's day one. You got to earn your trident. I have a card from a dear friend of mine who ran their mentorship. And I got a tour of their facilities um, a few years ago when we did some work together. And and I have that in my, my wallet. First thing I see when I open it up, earn your trident with the Navy ethos on the back. Uh, yes, and you know, um, this is it. Having that that urgency, that that joyful urgency, very importantly, not joyless, as Oliver Berkman puts in Four Thousand Weeks. Joyful urgency, but urgency. This is a precious moment. Um, let's make the most of it. And for people who want to know more about you, know more about the Heroic Platform or your book Arate, what is the easiest way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, thanks for bringing us back. So Arete, A-R-E-T-E, you can find it wherever you buy books. Um, I always get a kick out of the fact it is in FedEx uh, as well, apparently, um, Hudson Airport, uh, all the other places. And then the the app is Heroic. So you can find the Heroic app in your iOS and Android app stores. Just search Heroic, we're the training platform, or go to heroic.us. And then the thing I'm most excited about is our coach certification program. 10,000 people from 100 countries around the world have gone through it. Sony Lubomirsky, the leading well-being scientist, studied our 300-day program. She said in 35 years of research, she has never seen such significant results. It's the thing I'm most proud of creatively in my life. Um, so Heroic Coach, you can find that at heroic.us slash coach. We train individuals to be the change they want to see, to use Gandhi's frame, um, and help other people become their best, most heroic selves um, and create a business doing it. So that's Heroic Coach, and that's at heroic.us slash coach. And the book is basically the distillation of that. Brian Johnson, thank you so much for being on the Earn and Invest podcast today. Jordan, I appreciate you. I really enjoyed our connection, and I can see why Terry and Oprah are two of your heroes, and I appreciate your embodiment of qualities that you admire in them. 
That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. I want to be fair for a moment here. I wasn't expecting to like Brian Johnson's book, Arate, when I came to it. Let me give you some background. I've known about Brian Johnson for about a year. I was introduced to him by my good friend Trip Lanier, who wrote a wonderful book called This Book Will Make You Dangerous. He has a podcast, The New Man Podcast, and I've interviewed him and he's interviewed me. And a while back, he introduced me to Brian Johnson and his app, Heroic. And I really liked the philosophy. And I was very much into checking out the app, etc., But I have to tell you, when it comes to things like self-help, I am very much of the idea of changing mindset and philosophically changing. But I'm not a big fan of the kind of rah-rah, let's change our lives today, just get up and do it attitude. I never have been. And, you know, I kind of look back at my early life and I realize that I've never been the kind to go to a football game and root for my favorite team. I've never been one to have a lot of school spirit. I just tend to intellectualize myself, my environment, and self-improvement. And so in this process of intellectualizing, I guess I'm not a big fan of cheering myself on. I never have been. And so when I came to this book, I was a touch skeptical. And don't get me wrong, there is a lot of that in Arte. There's a lot of making sure we realize that today is the day and you are the hero and get up and do something. And usually these messages don't speak to me, but I have to tell you, Brian's book definitely did. And I'm trying to understand personally why. I think there are a few things. One is the philosophy is just so well covered. I mean, Brian has read like 600, 700 of the most important philosophical and self-help books out there. He has digested them over the last 20-some years, and he's come up with a philosophy that really makes sense, a philosophy that truly does bridge the gap from knowing how to be better to actually becoming better. Because I think a lot of us can intellectualize and figure out what a better life looks like for us, but actually getting there and sticking to it and living that better life every day is difficult. And so he outlines the philosophy, but what I've come to realize is that's not enough. We also need the motivation. We also need to cheer ourselves on. We also need the deep drive to get these things done. And that's why it was so interesting for me as I got deeper and deeper into Arate, it spoke to me more and more. And before I knew it, I was starting to change my daily activities. I all of a sudden got back to doing things that I had dropped that were good for me, that were part of what he would call the protocol, right? I have a protocol of things that I know if I do those things, like eat well, get enough sleep and exercise and stretch every morning, I know if I do those on a really regular basis and make it a habit, I just generally feel better. But as what happens to a lot of us is you tend to drop those things as life gets busy or you otherwise lose motivation to do it. So reading this book was a swift kick for me in a sense because it got me back towards that motivational place. Now, will that be long-term? Who knows? But I certainly kind of feel hyped up now to start stepping into those things that I know make me a happier, more fulfilled person. And I think Brian Johnson's message in his book is definitely responsible for that. So I'm really interested to see how I feel about the book six months from now, a year from now, Uh, but I am now definitely a big fan of Brian. I loved interviewing him. This is an incredibly authentic guy who's doing this, and I truly believe this, after seeing him in person because he actually gave a talk a week before I interviewed him, and then interviewing him and reading his thousand-page book. I can tell you, he is an incredibly authentic guy who's not doing this for the money. I truly believe he's doing this to help as many people as possible. I think he said something like he wants to help 51% of people live better lives by 2051. 
And that is clear. And he is very intentional. And I was impressed with the book. I was impressed with the philosophy. And I think it's made a real significant impact in my life, even in a short period of time. So I highly suggest the book. I highly suggest the app. He's not paying me to say this. He is not a sponsor of this podcast. I just feel there's some real good there. And if you're like me, if you sometimes get stuck in the philosophy and are short on the actions, this is a good chance for you to step up your game and maybe start actually taking those actions that make your life better. All right, I leave things running just for a few minutes to catch any bit of after show or what we chat about after. Um, yeah, I, I, I love, oops, are you still there? I just turned off my recording just to yeah, stop it. No problem. Um, I, I love seeing you in person. I think the book had so, so many good tactical things. Again, it had a huge number of great philosophical things, but from my standpoint, me personally, <laughs> the philosophy I get, it's the tactical that's so hard, I think. Um, Amazing. And so I just, I took a lot from it. I've always been in the financial space. And so being a physician, then going to the financial space. But the last book I wrote has really pushed me much more into your space a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So this next book I'm writing called The Purpose Code is, is much more self-help, which is a new mm -hmm. place for me. Um, so it's really, really nice to open my brain to a lot of what you talked about because again i think it, it takes some of those kind of ideas and philosophical things i'm thinking about and really shows me what it looks like in action and so i really it's it, it was really a great read for me i appreciate that that means a lot to me and i really appreciate your thoughtfulness and um great show uh great 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 energy and um please let us know when you when you share it and we'll make sure we share yeah. it as well it'll be within a few weeks just last question. Anything I didn't bring, I, it, uh, like I said before, it's impossible to cover a thousand page book and all yeah. of the 25 years of research you've done in one you know, hour show. But is there anything I missed that you're like, no, 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 that your listeners need to hear this? Is there any no, dude, I, that we didn't cover? I mean, to your point, of course, but no. I mean, we, we really, really hit the um, most important things. And again, what I think is always most powerful is your earnestness of, of our connection, you know, and that you truly enjoyed the book and the work and, and that, that felt um i felt that and i think that's always the most powerful thing and i think we also tactically we explored all the the most important themes within an appropriate context so i'm super grateful yeah. the easy thing about a podcast is i just never have anyone on unless i'm really excited about the conversation so it really that makes it easy requirement. right yeah because then fantastic. by the time i get here i'm kind of hyped up and i want to have the talk so right on uh it comes through great work Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.